welcome once more to the race MotoGP podcast. And finally, I'm glad to say that we've had a race after the delay since Valencia last November. We're underway for MotoGP in 2020. Toby Moody here and Simon Patterson. Simon has been down south in Spain. He was nearby the race, but unfortunately not allowed in. No press, unfortunately not allowed in, but he's got his finger on the pulse. And more importantly, I think he's head in the fridge. How hot was it down there? It is unbelievably hot. Uh, I've never experienced temperatures quite like this at a European race. Um, I can think of a few occasions. Uh, Argentina, the year that Scott Redding had the rear tyre problem. Uh, Bury Ram, the first year we went there to test before we raced, uh, when it was dry season, not rainy season, when it's been similar temperatures. But that's about it. Never in Europe before. It's just constant sun. There's no cloud in the sky. The sun is so high in the sky that there's very little shade. And it's just it's just meltingly hot. The uh, the track temperatures we've seen this weekend are, are higher than anything that we re- regularly see in a season. It's so difficult to describe just how difficult it has been this weekend for the guys to go out there and ride motorbikes around. Sounds like you're actually on the Dakar rather than uh, a MotoGP race. But the news is that Fabio Quattararo aboard his Patronus Yamaha has, I say, finally won a Grand Prix. He's only just starting his second season. And yet here he is as a Grand Prix winner, one of the most popular victories the sport has seen in years, absolutely years. Top guy, quick. People felt a bit sorry for him last year, except, of course, if you're part of a Honda team. But he's finally cracked the nuts, and not before time. It was only a matter of time. Uh, if we'd started the regular season on time, he'd be a multiple race winner by now. I'm, I'm fairly certain of that. He came very, very close last year, normally only getting beaten on the last lap by Mark Marquez at numerous places. And he went into this weekend looking very, very strong. You know, we said in the last podcast, I predicted that this would be his first win, and it turned out he was, which is very rare for me to have a prediction come true, because normally that never happens. But, uh, you know, he he has looked like a race winner for a long time, except he's never actually done it, I think is probably the best way to put it. But they have done it as a team, and that's a team that only came onto the MotoGP grid 12 months ago and finally a satellite Yamaha if I can call it a satellite Yamaha we'll get into the ins and outs of what the spec is in a moment but a non-works Yamaha wins a MotoGP four-stroke Grand Prix finally it's been done Absolutely it has. The first time ever, which is kind of remarkable, first time ever that a satellite bike that isn't a Honda has won a race. But it's not a huge surprise that they were the team to do it because that team is so professional, full of highly experienced people, really, really well funded. They've got fantastic bikes from Yamaha as a reward for last year and all the the success that they had. That support's only going to even go up next year if Valentino Rossi ends up there. They are they're the closest thing that MotoGP has, I think, to a, a factory satellite team, if that makes sense. And it's really going to change, further change, should I correct myself, the thinking of some of the other manufacturers, you know, the, the works Ducati to Pramac Ducati relationship, works KTM to Tech 3 KTM relationship. Suzuki have only got their two works bikes. 
it's better to have four works bikes on a grid than two. I mean, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to work that out. And it's coming to the fore with, with the youth on top of it. Is this going to change the format of these secondary teams? KTM had a, an amazing race on Sunday. They've come on leaps and bounds over the last few years. And you have to think that that is in part due to adding Tech 3, uh, adding two more full factory bikes that all feed into the same pool of data, the same pool of engineers and development. And other teams have looked at that. They've looked at what LCR have done so successfully with Cal Crutchlow, what Pramac have done so successfully with Ducati and with Davizia, uh, and Danilo Petrucci, Andrea Iannone, now Jack Miller. I think once we see the big grid reshuffle that's coming in the next few years, whenever the, the agreements come to an end and get renewed, what we're going to see is a grid comprised of 12 teams, 6 factories, and 24 factory bikes. Every team on the grid will try and have a satellite, and they'll all be running similar spec machinery. It's going to be interesting times, but not as interesting over the next week for the reigning world champion, Mark Marquez, who was at the forefront of the opening round of the championship at Hareth, had a wobble, went through the gravel, got himself back through the order, got his way up to a podium position, and then had an enormous crash at the, uh, the quick left-hander behind the commentary boxes, I call it, tumbled down the road, hit the tarmac at about 90 miles an hour, fell hard onto his right shoulder, then got whacked by the bike when he was rolling through the gravel in the slow-mo. He actually got pushed through the air by the bike. A terrible thing to watch. And not only was that shoulder injured when he hit the tarmac, but he's broken the, the, the humerus, the bone. So it's grinding away. It's, it's, it's mushing around inside his arm. And it's horrible before he even comes to a halt. And he knew when the dust was clearing, he was in big trouble. How big might this be for Mark Marquez? Really, really big. Um, I'm obviously not a doctor, but I've spoken to a few since. And the problem essentially that Mark has is that they, it's not the broken bone. It's that the humerus bone in the upper arm has the radio nerve curled around it. What the radio nerve does is it controls the, the sort of up-down motion of your wrist, which is obviously your throttle action. It also controls finger strength, which is your braking motion on a MotoGP bike. All those are controlled by that. And if he's damaged it, which we, we think he has, although... It's going to be the next few days when the swelling goes down before we find out exactly what he has done and how, how much trouble he's in. But that could be, you know, the worst case scenario is career ending. Oh, don't. Don't. I haven't got that in the, uh, in the script, Simon. Um, that's, that's pretty worrying. But likewise, it was the same corner where Mick Doohan ended his career. Uh, he drifted a little bit further on around that left-hander in a wet session on a Friday in 1999 and hit the white line. Rup, up he went. I was commentating and everybody in front of the commentary box outside the window stood up and was looking behind us. We were on the end commentary box closest to the uh, first corner and I looked through the uh, the window behind the uh, the booth and there was Mick rolling through the gravel and hitting the air fence underneath underneath us and that was it and he never rode a Grand Prix bike ever again um let's hope that that's not the case for for Mark but it's 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 always been a worry of mine and I've discussed it for some years with um 
with a friend of mine called Nigel Roebuck, Simon, who's a, a very eminent Formula One journalist. He's a very much a grandfather yes, of indeed. the press office in Formula One, and he's been around since the, uh, since the 70s. And uh, when Mark was coming to the fore, and he fell off at, uh, at Mugello at 209 mile an hour when he hit the tarmac over the blind crest and he tumbled down the concrete wall and he was okay and he qualified the next day and he raced on Sunday. Didn't finish, but at least he raced on <laughs> Sunday. And Nigel and I were talking after that race and I said, I just worry for him that, you know, you think you're immortal too much. And Nigel was great friends with Gilles Villeneuve and he said, Toby, exactly my sentiments. I just hope this day hasn't happened and he hasn't permanently hurt himself. A friend of mine had an accident on a motorcycle and hurt her nerves in her arm and she never recovered. So the best people in the world with Dr. Mir in Barcelona are on the case. And we can only go day by day to wait 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 for the reports. That's it. And it is literally going to be a case of waiting day for day, day by day until swelling goes down and, and they get an idea of exactly what damage he's done. It's very, very hard to predict, you know, what's going to come out of it. It could be that they stick a plate into the arm, the nerve damage clears itself up and he's back in action in a few weeks. But something tells me that's not the case here. Just reading between the lines. However, positive thoughts we were discussing about Andrea De Vizioso falling off that motocross bike a couple of weeks ago, and he finishes on the podium. Remarkable. <laughs> remarkable. I mean, he looked like it took it out of him. He was drained after the race, but he was still there and able to do it. You know, he salvaged a good result from what looked like it was going to be a bad weekend for the Italian manufacturer and came out smiling, came out, you know, said last night, that's as good as a win. And for Ducati with Jack Miller, only 0.7 of a second back of Davizioso in fourth position. So two Yamahas, one, two, two Ducatis, three and four. Another Yamaha with Morbidelli in fifth position. Those two manufacturers pretty happy, to say the least. Likewise, KTM, Polis Bargaro was running in fifth for a bit, got sixth at the flag, only a tenth of a second back of the former Moto2 champion, Morbid Deli. Uh, Paul, former Moto2 champion himself, uh, putting a spring in the step for Austria. Absolutely. Really, really strong day for Austria. And Paul said last night that the bike feels like a race bike now, that they're they're doing the same sort of fine-tuning details that everyone else does every weekend and not making the big steps, the big leaps that they've been trying to do for what is it now, four years. So it's it's all coming together for them. It's going to be really, really, really interesting to see what Brad Binder can do this year because, man, that boy is a talent. He showed yesterday, you know, he, he went from never having sat in a MotoGP bike on a race grid before to comfortably running inside the battle for the top ten until he had a bit of a moment and, and demoted himself down. Yeah, lap six, he had a moment and he was 17 seconds off the back of the pers- the last person in the race who was 17 seconds in front of him. He clawed that back and then cut through the order and eventually finished up in 13th position, only two seconds back of Alex Marquez's works Repsol Honda. What could have been for the South African? But... We've seen Binder win a Grand Prix at Hareth in Moto3 from the back of the grid, so he goes well there. 
Oh, and we've got it all again to do next weekend. How good is that for Brad Binder on the works Red Bull KTM? Interesting times. Coming back to Paulus Bargaro, there must be a little bit of a seed of doubt in his mind after this opening MotoGP race. Have I done the right thing for next year and go to Honda? I know it's only one day sport, but... I think he's in for a rude awakening. I, um, we know the Honda is difficult to ride. We know that the Honda takes a really, really aggressive style. We know that Mark Marquez can do that. We know that Paul Espargaro can do that too. But at KTM, he's been using it to do one lap for qualifying or two or three laps in the middle of the race. To do it 25 laps to win a race is a whole different thing. And um, I think he might not quite find the huge improvement that uh, he's expecting whenever he goes from one orange bike to another at the end, at the start of next season. Mm, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. But we've got a long way to go before we get to next season in all sorts of shapes and forms, including these five Grand Prix <laughs> over just... six weekends. So uh, two Spains. Then we've got Czech Republic and two Austrias uh, that'll take us through to the end of August. But uh, it is really one step at a time. It's one day at a time at the moment. Great to see MotoGP back, though. I know I had my brain recalibrated after watching qualifying, but to see them all rush down to that final corner at the end of the first lap, I just went, wow, <laughs> holy moly. And to get that feeling through the television screen, let alone... If I was trackside, it just made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. And to a certain degree, they are now. The colours, the noise, the vibrancy. Of course, the crowd was missing, particularly the emotion of the Spanish crowd at Jerez, because they are another level of bonkers. Another level. But just fantastic to see it back. And I'm completely energised for MotoGP after 25 years of following the sport, I think it's wonderful. It is an amazing time to be a MotoGP fan. We have, you know, I think part of the good thing is that it's not just the break, it's not just the fact that we haven't had a race for eight months until this weekend, it's the fact that I think we would have been just as excited had we gone racing in Qatar back in March, because this season was shaping up to be so good, to be so competitive. And now, because everything's been crammed into one little tiny block, because we've had no chance to see any sport for the last how many ever months, it's just better than ever. Um, we saw yesterday how interesting and exciting the race can be. And I'm fairly sure that we've got another five of those coming up in the next five weeks. Certainly, the people who want to turn the tables on their results of yesterday, no matter who, how good nor bad they were, a good result for Vinales works Yamaha in second position. But bizarre when we got the tyre choice that he had taken a soft front, softer front on his bike than the others. In that heat, surely it was going to turn to plasticine. I think one thing we know for sure is what the uh, Yamaha factory team will pick for their tyres next weekend's second race. Yeah. We can say that with fair confidence at this point, can't we? I think he, he has spent all winter working on getting the bike to start, getting to do that first 20 seconds of the race better than anyone else because it's been a huge weakness of his. Looking at yesterday's race, he absolutely nailed it. He completely got it right. The problem is that he had planned to use it 
to escape at the front of the race with the soft tyres at the start, and then to have enough of a lead built up that he could manage the rest of the race from the front. That didn't happen. He had to push too hard at the start. It was so hot outside, and the tyres just turned into you know, black mush in the rims because he picked the soft option and it backfired spectacularly. I think he was very, very lucky to finish second. He did say he got a rhythm and he, he sort of levelled himself out, but as you say, it could have been worse. You know, the skill of him to manage a, a, a tyre problem got him out of jail, I suppose. Uh, his teammate, Valentino Rossi, came out of the final corner with seven laps to go and uh, bleh, the engine just died. It just stopped. He said there was a warning light that came on the dash, but there was nothing there underneath him. That's a worry if they've got a major engine problem at the very first race because it's rare that we lose an engine in any of the bikes nowadays. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very, very strange issue. We don't know exactly what it is yet, and let's be honest, we probably never will because they never, will. They never no. like to tell us things like that unless they unless they can find a way to convince race control that it's a safety issue and that they need to change some parts inside the sealed engines, in which case we should find out whenever they have to crack them open. But it's a worrying sign, you know. It makes me think we know that Yamaha have been chasing more top speed. We know the riders have been calling for more horsepower. Have they just given them a little bit too much? Are we going to see bikes with, uh, you know, an RPM restriction for the rest of the season that slow them down considerably against their rivals? I wouldn't be surprised. And that's really, really not good. It's not terrible for this weekend at Jerez, but, you know... Bernou's got a section of track called Horsepower Hill. That's where they're going to feel it. They're in the Red Bull ring. It's not just that. They've got Ducatis in the same race, which have got bags of Cavalinos galloping away. So, mm, yes, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting scenario as to how those, those engine problems shake out for Valentino Rossi, because if they've lost an engine, that's completely going to change things for the rest of his season, and it's thick and fast. Um, he 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 batted off the questions after the race. Oh well, I had a, a potentially winning bike, but obviously I had a technical problem. <laughs> Little bit tongue in cheek. <laughs> He's very clever with the words, as we all know. But once the door is shut, mm, problem, and it's right at the first race. Not good. I can imagine there was some bad language used in the Yamaha trip yesterday evening with uh, no one around to hear it because, well, really, because you'd expect no less. That's not what you expect from a factory manufacturer. It's not what you expect from Yamaha. And it's really, really got a dent, not just his confidence for the rest of the year, but Quattararo's and Vinales's as well, because at the end of the day, they're all in the same engine. Mm, looking over their shoulders. Yeah. Man who finished second at Jerez 12 months ago, Alex Rins, fell off in practice. He couldn't race. Cal Crutchlow fell off during Sunday morning warm-up, was declared unfit to race with a little bit of concussion, and he's the probably the hardest one of them all to be rolling through the gravel, and yet he couldn't race. So some people starting injured, let alone Mark... Yeah. Very it's a, a very bad start to the season for a whole host of people. Um, Crutchlow has broken his scaphoid, um, which is a very, very difficult bone to heal. 
uh, because it gets very little blood flow right in the middle of the wrist. The good thing is that they've figured out today, yesterday, that he has broken his scaphoid. And part of the problem with it is that it can go undiagnosed for months and a lot of times. And uh, that sets back the healing. So he's going to Barcelona on Tuesday as well. He will be in the same recovery room as Marc Marquez after his surgery, whenever the same surgeon takes both of them into the same operating theatre and does different procedures to both of them. Uh, Cal only needs one little pin inserted into the wrist. They're confident that that will be enough to keep the bone held together and get the blood flowing again. And like you said, probably the hardest man in Merson. He's convinced he's going back to Jerez on Friday to have another crack at the whip. The scaphoid, as Simon says, very deep in the wrist, and it really takes all of the pressure when the guys are on the brakes um, with those carbon discs into these big corners. So it just makes you weak. It's like a weak knee. You can't bear much pressure if you're on a bike or taking two steps at a time up the stairs. It just collapses. So everybody's had a problem with them uh, uh, who's who's had a, a wrist injury in the past. And uh, as you say, it takes a long time because there's no blood flow through that bone to speak of. So mm, two out of the three works HRC guys are in hospital. That's going to completely upset Honda because their leading Honda over the line was Nakagami in 10th position. They're not stupid, the Honda Racing Corporation. They've done it before. They've won all these championships over all these years. They've been racing since 1959. But that's going to rattle them in my book. Um, it's a different kind of organisation than it was 20 years ago. They've got to keep their head. And all of a sudden, Alex Marquez has got to keep his head because pressure, if I can use that word is on him. I wouldn't call Honda a stupid organization, but I would call them a stubborn organization. And we've said it for years. They do this thing where they get a superstar talent, be it Mick Doon, Valentino Rossi, Casey Stoner, now Mark Marquez. They build a bike that it takes a supreme talent to ride on the limit. And when you're not supremely talented, you crash your brains out on it. And they just let their talent get on with it. But what that means is there's very little depth of field, and that's where they've ended up now. You know, it's worth remembering that Mark's teammate last year was Jorge Lorenzo, who no one is going to call a slouch. And I think Mark won the team championship for Honda with 400 and something odd points, of which Jorge contributed 20. That's how much they've put all their eggs in one basket. And they might be in for a rude awakening now that without Mark for a couple of races, there's not much they can do to make up that shortfall. I know exactly what you're saying, Simon. Uh, if we go back to NSR 500s, that was a bit of a wider plateau for people to jump on that bike and have a crack at a podium and then a victory. And particularly with the uh, the Honda V5 that was introduced with MotoGP in 2002, that was a very user-friendly thing. Of course, Valentino yes. just bulldozed them in 2002, 2003. <laughs> A new car was there and a little bit of Ducati when Valentino had a problem at, uh, at Barcelona. But it was a wider spread. But now, as you as you allude to, it's a finer point. The top of the hill is a, is a sharper peak and they put all their eggs in one basket. But, of course, you sort of have to because that's the way you win. You can't if people are very different in their setup. And Mark chucks it about and, 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 and Lorenzo's very smooth. Um 
where do you put your chips if you were in you know every race they're going to Vegas aren't they right I'm going to put my chips here <laughs> um, but it's 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 a difficult one but I do defend them a little bit when it comes to NSR 500s and it comes to um, to V5s but Fair that was a that was that. a previous era, and we're not comparing apples with apples. <laughs> but uh, you can see where I'm coming from, and you can see where you, yourself is coming from. Yes. But yeah, they they've lost it. But that would be true when Valentino fell off in 2010 and broke his leg at, at Mugello and all sorts. It it's the risk they take, and you when it works, it's wonderful, as we've seen with Mark Marquez in recent years. But this crash has finally happened. And it may well be some races before he comes back. Um, it's the old story. We've said it before about uh, many a rider. It's not necessarily the plate on a bone or the mending of the bone. It's the, it's the squishy stuff around it. And when the word nerves was mentioned after the race and nerve damage, I was, oh dear, that's really frightening. That's really frightening for yes. Mark because he is an international superstar, let alone somebody who's just a MotoGP star. He's something else. Everybody from motorsport knows him, just as they all know Valentino Rossi. And, hmm. But this opens a new door, doesn't it, Simon? A new door. You know, the king is the king is maybe somewhere else at the moment, but long live the new king in the shape of Fabio Quattararo. This is a new guard. We said a few weeks ago that there'd be three possible ways that this weird, shortened, compressed championship would play out. We would have Mark Marquez business as usual. He'd cruise to the title. Everyone would go home disappointed that he'd done another one. Option two was that someone like Davizioso or Petrucci or maybe even Rossi again would have sneaked a championship and it would have always had an asterisk against it because it was the weird season. But option three was that one of the kids, uh, Quateraro or Rins, someone like that, would win the championship and it would signal the start of something new, the changing of the guard. And I think that's what we've seen. I think yesterday was day one of a new era of MotoGP. There's a whole squad of kids like Rins, like Mir, like Quateraro, like Morbidelli, like Bagnaya, like Miller, who want to be at the Binder. front. Binder, of course who want to be at the front winning races, have the potential to do it, and now finally have the opportunity to make their mark. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's exciting times. Very, very exciting. And this coming weekend, July 25th and 6th, we're going to do it all again at Hareth at the Grand Prix of Andalusia. Teams have got the data to pour over all week. Some people will be back on the bike. I fear that Marquez won't be on the bike, but I don't know. I'm no doctor, but Simon will be across all of the news in the run-up to this next Grand Prix. I think his fingers across the keyboard will be hotter than the tarmac, don't you think? (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, I'm not so sure because I know how hot the tarmac is here. (laughs) I'll I'll have no chance uh, if I went out in that sun without a hat at least. It sounds like it's Dakar temperature (laughs) in the middle of Africa, I have to say. Simon, thank you so much for bringing us up to speed with what happened and what might happen in the next Grand Prix again at Jerez. It's going to be called the Grand Prix of Andalusia this weekend, 24th, 5th and 26th of July. Simon, you'll be keeping in touch with all the latest news, won't you? 
Yes, I will indeed. Still not allowed into the circuit just yet, but still floating around the area and uh, picking up what info I can, reporting on conditions as they are, which is about the most I can do on site at the minute. But I'm sure we're going to be busy. Simon will be across what the operation goes like, how the operation goes like for Mark Marquez back in Barcelona and see how the reigning world champion progresses back to getting into his leathers and getting the crash helmet on. Fingers crossed it won't be too long. But in the meantime, Fabio Quattararo will be enjoying that first victory, the first French victory in the top class since September 1999, when fellow countryman Regis Laconi won at Valencia. It was a wet, damp race. I was there that day and he was riding the Red Bull Yamaha. Fabio Quattararo was a babe in arms, and here he is, a MotoGP winner. Bravo, monsieur, and we look forward to hearing the Marseillais once more over the speakers at a MotoGP track. From Simon Patterson and myself, Toby Moody, keep in touch with the-race.com, and we'll speak to you soon. Goodbye for now.